Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. All right, let's read some scripture. It's Luke 7. So take out your, whatever you have, your apps, and turn to Luke 7. We're going to be 36 through 48. I'm going to read it for us right now, and it'll also be on the screen. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town lived a sinful life when that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have a judge correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but the woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet, and therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But, but for whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. All right. So much good stuff here. In fact, this is, um, this is like a really great story, and it's, a really, um, it's, like, it's really good news. It's good news for us. It's good news for um, who we are as Christians, as Christ followers. And actually, believe it or not, this story speaks deeply. And there's a weird echo thing happening. This story speaks deeply to, um, to what's going on in our world right now. Like, like really. Like, it, it does. And so um, uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about the good news of this story. But in order for me to do that, i got to ask that dinner party question again. Raise your hand if you've ever been to, like, a bad party. How many people have been to a bad party? All right, there's one. Good. All right, so we're going to identify that this is going to work. Um, uh, my mom always tells the story about when she was little, her and her family went to a dinner party, and the woman left out like a loaf of Wonder Bread and a can of Spam. <laughs> that's terrible, right? Um, that's really bad. And so, like, I think you know, across cultures and across traditions and across ethnicities, we all have certain things we do at parties. But I think we can all agree that if we're going to a dinner party, the first thing that's going to happen is somebody's going to greet us when we walk through the door. Correct? But we, we can assume as much, right? Right? Okay, good. And then somebody will take our stuff, our coat, or whatever. Uh, they'll shake our hand, give us a hug, give us a kiss, right? Are we all in agreement here? Nobody's going, no way, right? <laughs> good, yeah. And then we can be, you know, somebody will say to us, like, do you want something to drink? Or do you want to sit down? Or you've been touching subway poles. Do you want to wash your hands? You know, that kind of thing, right? We can expect that to happen, right? I uh, am reading this incredible book. You should read it too. It's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. So it gives you context behind Jesus and about everything going on in Jesus' culture. And so as I read this book, there were some pretty set rules about a dinner party for Jesus as well. Those set rules were simple. You walk in, you would get a kiss on the cheek. You would get water for your feet. Your feet would be dusty from walking. You would get water for your feet. And everybody, no matter how poor you were, how rich you were, everyone had olive oil. So you would give somebody olive oil for their hands and for their hair. That's what you would do. And then there was a, a round, uh, some round couches. So it would be like a circle of couches. And in the middle would be a table. The table would be close to the ground. And what would happen is once all the guests arrived, what you would do is the oldest person at the house would sit at that table first, followed by the second oldest, and so on and so forth until you get to the youngest person. Women were not allowed to sit at the tables. It was just for men. But 
these are basically the, the, what you would do at any kind of party you would have. And this actually comes from, it's not like courteous, it actually comes from um, Abraham when Abraham had his first dinner party in Genesis 18, so now you know, all right? So it's got like this religious connotation to it. And what happens is Jesus walks in and none of those things happen. He gets invited to dinner, Jesus walks in, Simon the Pharisee opens the door, nothing happens. So what does Jesus do? What would you do? What would you do if nothing happened? Like he walked in and somebody opened the door and walked away. <laughs> like that's what happened. And uh, you have to imagine, like if, you, if that happened, you're sitting there and you're holding your coat, you have all your stuff, this person walks away, and you see this like beautifully set dining room table, and it's set perfectly, and there's a bottle of wine on the table, and what you might do in that situation is you might go, they're not gonna, I'm just gonna sit at the table and pour myself some wine, right? So you sit down at the head of the table and you pour yourself some wine. That's exactly what Jesus does. <laughs> Jesus says right at the beginning, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. He waited for nothing. He waited, he didn't wait for the oldest to get to the table first. He was like, you're not gonna greet me? I'm gonna go sit down at this table then. Sit at the head, I'm gonna go first. So right off the bat, you have this tension. So why is this tension here? Why is this Pharisee's, uh, why, why is he, uh, what is he doing to Jesus? Why isn't he treating Jesus with dignity? Well, it probably has something to do with the fact that a woman of ill repute was at his home. Why was a woman of ill repute at his home? Because, again, in our scriptures, it tells us, if someone shows up at your door, you let them in. If a foreigner shows up at your door, you let them in. If anyone shows up at your door, you let them in. It's pretty clear, okay? And so Simon the Pharisee lets this woman in. And by the way, when I say Pharisee, all I'm saying is Simon the pastor. It just is basically the same thing. Simon the teacher, all right? It's just, Pharisee gets a bad rap. It's not really a bad thing. Um, so Simon the pastor, Simon the Pharisee, let, lets this woman in as he's supposed to by religious law. It doesn't mean he has to like it. Right? Because what the scripture tells us is this is a woman of ill repute. We don't know what she's done, but we know that she has a bad way about her. And so what this becomes now is this becomes a test for Jesus to test. What will Jesus do with this woman? What will he do? Because the law, the Bible, the scriptures are all very clear on what Jesus is supposed to do. And the Bible, the law, the scriptures say that this woman needs to do four things and Jesus needs to tell her to do these four things. Number one, she's got to uh, confess that she's a sinner. Number two, she's got to be contrite, which means she needs to say her, she's sorry. That's good, right? How many people here are sinners? Yes, not me. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we confess. Like, I've done something that goes against what God intended. That's what, yeah, that's what a sin is. And, and, then, and then you're contrite. And I'm sorry I did that. I want to do better. That's great. That's really, really good. We should practice that in our daily lives. But then here's where the second part comes in. The second part was that the person who is a sinner now needs to go to the temple and make restitution. And then, once they make restitution, they need to have a priest there who tells them, you are finally absolved by God. Okay? Now, this is tricky for a woman because half the time women aren't even allowed in the temple. So a woman of ill repute, a woman who is a sinner who's not allowed to go make restitution, is stuck in a cycle of sin. She's stuck there. She can't get out of it. There's nothing she can do according to the scriptures, according to the law or whatever else, that will stop her from being a sinner, right? That's what's gone on. And so the Pharisees are like, well, if Jesus affirms her, then Jesus is a heretic. He affirms her. Then he's causing trouble. If he affirms her, he's not who he says he is. If he affirms her, we can have him arrested because he's a threat to the empire. If he affirms her, we can even kill him. Because we've heard that Jesus eats with sinners already. So there's the test. So what happens? Jesus reclines at the table, and this woman starts crying. She starts
starts crying. Why? Why does this woman start crying? Um, a little thing I learned preparing for this message, 50 years ago in our text, it said that um, she cried because she was a sinner and she was looking for forgiveness. And then like within the past 50 years, this is all fresh, theologians and scholars have said no, that wasn't it at all. And so they've actually taken, out of, taken it out of our Bibles. Isn't that interesting? I thought our Bibles were in error. Oh well. Um, anyway, so they've taken it out of our scriptures. And, and so now what most theologians and scholars will say, she's crying for very specific reasons. And there's two of them. Number one, she's crying because she understands what it's like not to be dignified. She understands what it's like to be treated as subhuman. She understands what it feels like to walk into somebody's house and not be given the specific courtesies that everybody else is given. And she sees that happening to Jesus. And so she weeps for Jesus. Now, why would she weep for Jesus? And this is the best part. She weeps for Jesus because Jesus has already done something for her. She's not showing up at this house because she's seeking forgiveness. She's showing up at this house because she's already been forgiven by Jesus. She's showing thanks. Brings a jar to show thanks because Jesus has already said to her in some way, in some capacity, you know what? You don't need to go to the, the temple to make restitution. I've already forgiven you. And this woman shows up with deep thanks and deep gratitude. And she, she weeps for Jesus because he's not experiencing the same gratitude that she has experienced from him. And so she goes, if they're not going to do it in my thankfulness, in my worship, I'm going to do it. And so she starts pouring the, the, the oil on his feet. And then what does she do? She lets down her hair and she starts washing his feet with her hair. Now, this, what I just told you, that she just is washing her feet with her hair, is the most sexually scandalous thing in all the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Full stop. The most sexually scandalous thing ever that you'll read in the, in the New Testament. There are three things, according to the Jewish Mishnah, three things that a man can divorce his wife for without restitution, which means a man can divorce his wife for these three things and leave her on the streets. One is if she sleeps with somebody who's not her husband, she comports with people of ill repute if she lets down her hair in public. Those are the three things. All right? This woman lets down her hair in public. Now, why is this such a big deal? It's a big deal because in Jesus' time, hair was the ultimate form of arousal. That's what it was. In fact, how do we know this? Because it says it in our scriptures. Here's what it says. It says uh, in Song of Solomon, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Eyes are doves behind your veil, and your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. <laughs> the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Why is she doing this? Why is she putting herself in a position where she could be arrested because now she's showing her hair in public, and she's showing her hair in public to teachers? I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. She is swept up in the messianic suffering of God. She's swept up in the moment. And so Bonhoeffer says this, being swept up in the messianic suffering of God happens to us in the most varied ways in the New Testament, especially through the actions of a woman they call sinner. I like this. So she lets down her hair. And I'm not trying to be inflammatory here, but the only way I can describe this to us to have it make sense within our culture is imagine being at a dinner party and having all this happen and then getting a lap dance. That's seriously what this is like. It's that scandalous. It's that sexually like charged. That is how big of a deal this is, right? And so what does Simon the Pharisee do? He does what I think all of us would do. He goes, this guy is certainly not a pastor. He's certainly not a teacher. He's certainly not a prophet. If he was, he would know that what's happening is crazy. 
Like, why is he letting her do this? And then Jesus says this. Jesus says, I have something to tell you. And this is an awesome line. Because that doesn't mean a lot to us, but it's Middle Eastern idiom. And basically, I have something to tell you. And this Middle Eastern idiom means, like, I'm about to crush you with my words. <laughs> I'm about to clap back at you. Like, that's exactly what Jesus is saying right now. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. And then he tells this story, right? He tells the story of two people who have these debts. And he says, one has a big debt and one has a little debt. Who do you think is more thankful when the debts get canceled? And the, the Pharisee goes, well, of course, the person with the bigger debt. And Jesus goes, yeah. And then he says this, and this is really, really important. Um, he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Did you not give me a kiss? Or you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. For whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus talks to her. And again, a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet, you're not supposed to talk to women. That's, it's against the law for you to talk to a woman. And already this woman has done some really sexually suggestive things. And he looks at her and he talks to her. He says, your sins are forgiven. Your full humanity is affirmed. You have full dignity in this place. And the story ends. Now, I don't do this a lot. But when I was reading this, there were three things that really stuck out to me. Three really good things. And I want to talk about these three things with you. Okay? Number one, I need to get back to what Jesus is doing with this parable. This, this debt. This debt and, and who forgives little and loves little and all the rest. When you translate the whole thing, and when you read commentaries on it, it's fascinating. Because what's actually being talked about are two different types of sin. Okay? One sin is called debts. So think of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. We forgive those who are debtors, whatever. Right? Right? And then one is called trespasses. Right? Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Now, trespasses in the time of Jesus was an easy sin. It's the sin of breaking the law. That's what it is. The sin of breaking the law. So all of us have broken what God wants, right? All of us have done that. Um, this woman, this woman of ill repute, it's easy to see her since she's broken the law in some way. She's done something, and you can easily see it. Now, the sin of debt is not as easily seen. But the sin of debt is actually a sin of rule-keeping. That's what the sin of debt is. The sin of debt is any time that you follow the law, and you follow the law before you affirm a person, before you love a person, that is a sin. So what Jesus is basically saying to this guy is, is this woman a sinner? Yeah, absolutely. She's been forgiven. Um, and so and she loves and so she's been forgiven. You, you don't even realize you're sinning. How are you sinning? You're sinning because you're keeping the law over affirming this woman. You're, you're sinning because you have a set of rules in place that you follow instead of following what humanity looks like and following the love of humanity. Does this start to sound familiar? I like to call it the yeah buts. Mm -hmm. Well, this person deserves dignity. Yeah, but that person did this. This person deserves to be united with their family. Yeah, but they broke the law. This person deserves, no, yeah, but. And, and I think we have the yeah, buts too, right? Like, I deserve to move forward in life. Yeah, but I've done this in my past. Man, I, I, you know, I, I would deserve to be loved this way. Yeah, but who would want to love me because. And Jesus is speaking directly to the yeah, buts. He's saying, those you have bucks, that qualifier that you put on anyone, that's a sin. And that's a sin that you don't even see it's a sin. And, and so for the person who's a trespasser, the person who breaks the law, they get it. And for them, I'll forgive them a lot. For you, 
You who love little is forgiven little. You who love little, you need to figure it out first. And honestly, this speaks so much to what's going on in our world today. How many times have we heard, this person deserves the full dignity of God, yeah, but they're illegal. This person deserves the full dignity of God, yeah, but they're gay. This person deserves the full dignity of God, yeah, but they've done this or they're this one. And what Jesus says is that's a lie. That is a lie. And so what we are asked to do is we are asked to throw out these yeah buts. They are no longer qualifiers in our life. They are no longer qualifies, qualifiers to whether or not we are loved by God. What we do is we act like this woman. We come to God in thankfulness. Thankfulness that before we've even entered the room, just like her, we've already been forgiven. We've already been affirmed. We've already received dignity. This is what Jesus Christ is telling us. Let's celebrate that. Let's worship. Let's walk out of here going, whatever yeah, but we have attached to our lives. Jesus is telling us, no, it doesn't work. You're already loved. You're already affirmed. You're already forgiven. There are some of us here who like the law. Some of us here who like the practicalities of the law. Some of us here who like the black and white of the law. And I'm sometimes one of them. For us, it's time to practice getting rid of that yet. For us to say, as hard as it is, because I want to be attached to this structure and this practicality, what Jesus does is he affirms the person above the law every time. And so I'm going to practice affirming the person above the law every time, even though it sort of goes against what I'm most comfortable with. That's the challenge. That's number one. Second thing I've learned from this story, and I'm going to talk to men here for a second, all right? Men, way too often we sexualize, we objectify, and we say that someone else has caused us to stop. Too often we do that. Too often we say, uh, we, we oppress especially marginalized women, objectify women, and, and we say, oh my gosh, well they did this thing, or they, they looked this way, or they did this one thing. And what Jesus shows us in this really scandalous act is that that is absolutely ridiculous. It's a lie. We have our own agency. We need to stop blaming, objectifying, marginalizing, oppressing women and say, oh, well they did it, or they wanted it, or whatever it might be. It is an absolute sin. It's disgusting. And Jesus shows us what it looks like to fully affirm that dignity for others. One of those things that Jesus does 2,000 years ago, and we're still talking about it today. Men in this room, we can change it. We can affirm. We can bring dignity into places there aren't. We can stop other men from doing that too, because there have been times we've heard other men do it happen. I think that's the second thing I've learned from this. So there's good news. There's good news in the fact that we're, we're not qualified with a yeah, but. There's good news in the fact that Jesus affirmed this woman in all of her sexuality and all her whatever it might be and doesn't say, oh, she caused me to stumble, but says, no, she's fully affirmed, full dignity, full stop. And then thirdly, say yes to bad dinner parties. <laughs> say yes to the awkwardness of it. Say yes because it's possible that it'll change your life. story. Uh, thank you for the fact that you affirm people. Thank you for the fact that you, that you love without condition. Thank you for the fact that you love us even when we do oppress and marginalize. And thank you for the fact that, that you love this woman even though it meant that you would suffer and that you would die on a cross. Thank you that you were resurrected. Help us to follow your lead. We pray this in your name.